Hey, this is Pastor Ricky Ortiz at MetaChurch, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcast and supporting our ministry. If you'd like to learn more about MetaChurch, you can visit us online at meta.church, and we're praying this message inspires you and encourages you to pursue your relationship with Jesus. Man, it's good to be back um, with you guys. I was actually out of town last week, and um, you know, one of the fun things about being out of town, one of my favorite things about leaving New York is actually coming back to New York. And because there's no place like it. And for me anyway, like it's just exhilarating every time. And one of my favorite things, like if you have the privilege of like flying into, well, it's not a privilege to fly into LaGuardia. The flying part is a privilege. LaGuardia is like, it's a burden. Um, And so, but when you fly into LaGuardia, unlike the other airports, you often get the opportunity to fly over the city or like kind of near in proximity to the city. And so I was flying back. I was gone last weekend and I was flying back into Manhattan. And uh, I was, it was an evening flight. And so we're flying and we're just kind of like, you know, just gliding over the city and you see like the bright lights at night. Daytime is great. Nighttime is great. But like, it was just special. You know, you see the lights from all the buildings. Uh, You're flying through Midtown or over Midtown and you see like Times Square and and kind of the brightness of that. And you just get to look down. You're like, this is my city. Like, this is where I live. And this is what I get to be a part of. And, you know, what's always interesting to me or fascinating to me is like, as we fly over these buildings, I started kind of doing calculations because I'm like, okay, that tower, you know, the Freedom Tower is, you know, 1,776 feet tall, the, the height of freedom. Get it? Like 1776 is when America was founded. So that's why it's, you know, wow. Like, boom, Holy Spirit just blew everyone's minds right now. Listen, God is in this place. Yes, 1776, the height of the Freedom Tower is the height of freedom. Okay, gotcha. Now that you know. Um, and so um, God just broke some change in your lives. Uh, and so you fly. So I look down, I see that. Okay, and then I look at like, you know, the Empire State Building. There's no like significant bearing on its height. So don't like think that another revelation's coming. Um, it's, the, it's the height of depression. Like, no, it's not any of those things. So don't, don't worry. Um, but I'm like looking down on these things, right? So I'm like, okay, that building is like almost 1,800 feet tall. That one's like 1,400 feet. And what I don't always get or like not always able to understand is like, how high are we in comparison to those buildings? Because sometimes they look close and sometimes you feel like you're a little bit further off, but you don't really understand like, is this um, like, are we... 5,000 feet above? Are we 10,000 feet above? Are we like just 4,000? Like, I don't really know how to, ga- how to gauge, you know, where we're at, like what the height. Um, and then, you know, like everything from above just kind of looks small. But then like you get down, you get to LaGuardia and you get out of that Uber parking lot, which is a nightmare. And you get into your car and you, you know, drive into the city and those same buildings that you were once looking at that look so small, like you're on ground level and they actually seem or feel so tall, right? And you're like, okay, well, that looks, it feels a lot bigger right here than it did when I was like up there. And I feel like that's a good metaphor for life. I feel like when life is good and when things are like, and you're high on life, that everything, like even like, you know, problems that would burden you actually feel so small. Like when the relationships are good, when the job is good, when the bank account looks good, you know, when all those things are good, problems that would overwhelm you in other times of life actually feel small in comparison to how good things actually are. Like when you're high on life. But then when it's flipped and you're down, like things are a little bit different. Things are a little bit different, you know, because depending on your vantage point, it changes your perspective. And so when life is down, when the relationships aren't good, when the bank account doesn't have money, the bank actually tells you you owe them money. And so when things aren't working out that way or the job is miserable or life isn't going as planned, when things are like that, even the smallest problem can seem to kind of throw you over the edge. 
Someone texts you and says, hey, do you have X, Y, Z? And you're like, I don't need another person bothering me right now. Like, this is the last thing I need to deal with. This is the last thing I need to worry about. And it's like this situation or that kind of dichotomy or difference is a lot of what we go through in life. There's times where things are really good and we're way up. And so problems feel insignificant. But then there's other times when we're down and our problems seem insurmountable. And all that changes is our positioning or rather our perspective. And really that whole thing is really the, the, the basis for this series. Do you see us down here? Because when we're down, it's hard to imagine that we'll ever get out. When we're up, it's hard to envision ever being down. Yet this is something we all can experience and something we all relate to. The truth is we've all felt this way before where we're down looking up at God or somebody and saying like, do you see us down here? Do you see what's happening? Do you feel what's going on? Do you know what I'm going through, what I'm carrying or how I'm just kind of enduring through this season or this phase of life? And, and, and the humbling thing is that we all can share this feeling, but we've all shared it for different reasons, Right? It's not just one thing that we all have shared. It's, it can be different things. It can be relationships. It can be that failed, that failed relationship, the failed marriage, or, or a parent's marriage that didn't end out well, and it causes you to feel worried about your potential or your future to engage in a healthy relationship. It can be that that romantic relationship that you had with that person that you trusted, and then they violated you or they betrayed you and moved on, and so now all of a sudden you feel like what you cared about is no longer there or that no one gets it and no one sees you struggling or suffering to overcome this situation. It could just be that it's not romantic at all. It could just be that you feel like everyone is friends except for you, (laughs) that everyone else is getting texted like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And then you see on Instagram or you see on social media that everyone else went out, but you never got invited. And you never got called into that. Or maybe it's not that you would expect to have gotten called into that. You just wish you had a group of friends that you could do that with. And so it could be relationships that forces you to kind of feel down and look up and ask, like, God, do you see us down here? Maybe it's not relationships. Maybe it's your dreams. Maybe it's your aspirations. Maybe it's that hope that you're like, man, one day I want to do this. Or one day I believe God's going to launch me into this. And what you find is that you're in your 20s or you're in your 30s or in your 40s or you're in your 50s. And everything is just kind of the same as it's always been. And your colleagues, your peers, your classmates are just kind of waving as they pass you on the way to fulfilling their dreams. And you're still stuck back here somewhere saying, God, do you see me down here? I did everything. I followed the plan. I walked the path. And they get to go experience it. They get to go through it. And yet here I am wondering, like, where, where am I? Where are you? Do you see what I'm struggling with? Sometimes it's not the dream. Sometimes it's not the relationship. Sometimes it's health. Or you just have a lingering issue, an illness. You're suffering with something. In fact, maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe you're the only one that's kind of carried this thing. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone you care about. It's battling cancer. And then it hits another family member or hits another close friend. And it's like everyone around you is getting plagued by something. And you're like, nothing is helping. Nothing is changing. Nothing is turning around. Nothing like why us? It feels like we're being targeted. It feels like I'm being targeted, God. That I'm having to grieve and deal with loss. That I'm having to struggle and question and wonder. And you just got to get mad and like throw your hands up. Like, God, do you see me down here? And Again, this stuff, it's not just one thing, right? It's all these things because it doesn't have to be health. It doesn't have to be relationships. It doesn't have to be finances. It could be the victim. You could, it could be something as simple as being the victim of someone's anger or bias or prejudice. 
to feel like you've been targeted because of something that's outside of your control because of the color of your skin. Or because you feel like, well, I don't get the opportunities that someone else has. I have to work twice as hard just to make it to a place of like acceptance. I have to prove that I'm so good enough so somebody in this social sector or someone of this color will welcome me into the fold. And I have to earn my credibility when someone else, just because their skin color is different or just because they look different or just because their shape is different than mine, that they get invited in and they didn't have to jump those hurdles. They didn't have to go through those hoops. But me, God, I do. And God, do you, do you see me down here? And it's like all of these different things. And then, right, what do we try to do? We try to escape it. And so how do we escape? Like turn on the TV or like get lost in our phone. And then you can't even do that because you get lost in your phone and you turn on the TV and there's some, like, some violent act that's happened somewhere in the world. There's some like rumor of a war getting started. There's someone who's tweeted something they shouldn't have tweeted. There's some like anger and vitriol that everyone's like, oh, we're all upset about this and everyone else should be upset about this. And so you realize like everything is chaotic and wrong. You can't even escape this. You're like, God, do you see any of us down here? It's like God is living his cosmic life up there and we're struggling in real life down here. And that's what this whole series is about. It's asking that question. It's confronting that reality that we all face because as I said, it's not one thing, it's all of these things. And it's not one person, it's all of us. We all face these situations and these encounters in life where we look up and we're like, God, do you see us? Specifically, do you see me? And as we walk through this series, as we journey over the next six weeks or five weeks after today, what we're going to do is we're going to ask this question. We're going to confront this reality and we're going to hope to come to some conclusions or some answers or some direction about what God does see and more importantly, what God does do. But here's the thing. As your pastor and as a leader of this, I can't promise you that I, ha- that I have the answers you want or need, but I can promise you that God does. And my responsibility as the pastor is not necessarily to provide you the answers, but it's to point you toward the answers. And our responsibility, because it's not just me, our responsibility as a church is to walk toward those answers together. Because what are we if we don't do it together? What's the point of speaking about it, talking about it, pointing to it, if what we're going to do is just say, okay, you get there on your own. The power of a church, the power of a community is when we do this together when we move toward the answers together and we find healing together, we find hope together, we find purpose together, that's the power of that. And so this series is about helping us discover and move toward the answers together. But first, we've got to start off with this question, do you see us down here? And this question is not unique to you. It's not unique to us and our church. In fact, this question is not even limited to this day and age. This question is as old as human history. And surely it's as old as the Bible. Because perhaps no one in scripture represents this question or this frustration or this sentiment or kind of personifies it better than the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is kind of a a small little book. It's three chapters, really it's five oracles. And Habakkuk is a guy, uh, he's considered one of the 12 minor prophets, meaning that his letters or his kind of prophecies weren't as detailed or as uh, significant in terms of volume compared to some of the other ones. So it's a small little letter, this small little uh, kind of oracle that's written out or spoken out to a city and a nation in a time of conflict. In fact, when Habakkuk lived, he lived in the city of Jerusalem and in the nation of Judah, where things were just upended. Things were, you know, corrupt, things were perverted, things were just kind of grossly vile. 
And it was conflicting for Habakkuk because Habakkuk was a man of God and he was living and dwelling in a city and in a nation that were supposed to be represented or led by the people of God. And here he is operating in this place and looking around and seeing how decrepit things are, seeing how discouraging things are, seeing how violent things are, seeing how frustrating things are. And he prophesies his first oracle is what we pick up in Habakkuk chapter one, verses two through four. Here's what he says. Here's how he starts off his letter. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. See, Habakkuk was a minor prophet with a major attitude. <laughs> like he had, uh, he had some beef with God. He had some issues with God. He was upset. He was frustrated at the way things were. He was curious as to why he could see what was wrong, but God somehow couldn't. And so Habakkuk was maybe the first person or maybe the most vocal person to say, God, do you see us down here? Do you see what's happening around us? Do you see the injustice? Do you see the wrongs? Do you see the evil? Do you see the lack of dignity, the lack of goodness? And he's kind of throwing his fist up in the air, shouting at God, saying, God, look at what's going on. Open your eyes because it's plainly obvious to anyone who is willing to just look and see. And I think the truth is, if we were to kind of open like our internal diaries, what we'd find is that we will have written similar things like this, similar expressions, similar phrases to God at different points in our lives. Now, we don't want to confess those things, but this is church. You got to be honest. (laughs) We don't want to reveal those things. But in our hearts and in our spirits, there have been times where we said, God, like, what are you seeing? Where are you right now? What are you looking at? Like, because you can't be looking at what I'm looking at. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is that you and I are way more like Habakkuk than you probably ever realized. He was just bold enough to put it out there before God. We're the ones that often just kind of conceal it and hang on to it because, oh, things are good. God is good. Too blessed to be stressed. Like, you know, no. Like, I'm stressed and I need to be blessed. Like, that's the issue. That's the reality. And so in this kind of oracle or in this prophecy, actually what what stood out to me wasn't just what he said, but the progression of what he said. Because I think what we experience and what we feel isn't just kind of a one statement or it doesn't just start in one place and end there. It actually progresses and moves from one place to another where we get to this place of frustration. And the thing about this frustration is that it causes us to feel unseen. It causes us to feel forgotten. It causes us to feel abandoned. It causes us to feel alone. And the danger in that is that when you feel alone, when you feel abandoned, when you feel forgotten, when you feel unseen, you're susceptible to walking away from the God who actually sees you, loves you, cares about you, and has purposed you. And my heart is that we wouldn't walk away, but that in the moments where we feel abandoned, in the moments where we feel alone, in the moments where we feel forgotten, in the moments we feel unseen, that we would actually walk toward God and not away from God. And so I want to walk you through this protect, or this kind of progression and use it almost kind of as telltale signs of stages even of where we get to. But I also want to reveal to you some things that I think will help you overcome this feeling of being unseen. And so we'll begin in verse two, kind of the first part of verse two. This is what Habakkuk says, right? Remember, in case you missed it, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Have you ever felt that way before? Like you've called out for God and you've prayed and prayed and prayed over that thing. 
and you've asked for some resolution, you've asked for some sort of answer, you've asked for something, and what frustrates you is not that there's not an answer, not that there's an answer of yes or no or wait or not yet, it's that there's nothing, there's just silence. That you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and the silence is all you get back. Listen, I get it, man. I'm a dad, and Gia, my daughter, she turned eight like a week and a half ago. She's like eight going on 18. And she, like we asked her, like Gia, like it's time to get up for bed, or time to get up for school, get out of bed, or it's time like, you know, put on your shoes, or Gia, will you do this, or whatever. And like it kills me because we live in this one-bedroom apartment, and it should be pretty easy to hear her say yes or no, but there's nothing. <laughs> we can ask her like nine times. And then finally she gets mad, she's like, I'm doing it. And I'm like, okay, but you didn't say anything. (laughs) Like, I'm asking. Just give me a response. So you know what she started doing? No lie, this is new over the last three weeks. Literally over the last three weeks. Gia, will you put your socks on? Uh. (laughs) Gia, will you feed the dog? Uh. I'm like, something broke. Like something broke in her. Like this was not normal. Like where did this come from? She started this before school started. So I know she didn't get it in school. Like where did she pick up on this? And I guess I maybe did it to myself by saying I need a response. And that was what the best she could surmise. Is that, uh. But you know, like I feel this as a parent, but I also feel this as a follower of Jesus. I feel this as a follower of Jesus because listen, for six years, I've been praying for something. For six years, I've been seeking God on something. For six years, I've been asking. In fact, for the last 1,119 days, I've had a daily reminder notification sent to me every single morning at 6 a.m., reminding me to pray over this one thing. And for 1,119 days, I have not missed praying for this one thing. And for about 1,100 of those days, God has been silent. There's been nothing. No response. No answer. No conversation. No Hey, Ricky, I hear you. Let me get to that. I got like 17 other things I got to get to first, but I'll come back to you. Nothing. Just silence. So I'm like, God, like how long? How, how long do I got to call for help? I reach out to you, but you don't answer. I'm looking to you, God. And yet there's nothing there. And Habakkuk comes on. He says, violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Now, have you ever done something to get someone's attention? Yes or no? Okay, I'm like, am I the only needy person here? Uh, (laughs) Come on, guys. I feed off of this. So, like, yes, right? Okay, I'll take you back to Miss Bates' fifth grade classroom. (laughs) Miss Bates' fifth grade classroom, okay? There was a girl who was fly. Like, listen, I I put my cards on the table like she was fly. Her name was Felicia Thomas. And so I decided, you know what? Like, I need to get this girl's attention. Like, I need to holler at her. And so I knew what I was going to do. She sat in a different part of the classroom, but where she sat was pretty close to the pencil sharpener. And so I was like, okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm gonna break my pencil, then I'm gonna take my pencil, but well, I'm gonna take my pencil, I'm gonna go sharpen it. But before I break it and before I sharpen it, I'm gonna write my number on this piece of paper. And so here's what I did. I went, I sharpened my pencil, broke it, sharpened it, walked by her desk and like just casually like slipped it. First, dropped my pencil, picked it up, slipped it on her desk. As I was putting my hand and get back up, I said, but listen, I want her to call me but I had to play it cool. I didn't want her to like call. I didn't want her to think I was desperate. So I was like, here's my number. You call me, but I'm not going to be home tonight. So wait till tomorrow night. Because you can't be desperate. You can't be desperate. Look, fifth grade, I had game. And so I dropped this, pull this up. You know what she said? I'm not going to call you. 
She was cold as ice. She was cold as ice. To this day, she's never called. She's never called. But I was trying to get her attention. I was trying to get her to notice. I was trying to get her to act. And Habakkuk is like, violence is everywhere. In other words, God, you're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can stop this. You're the only one who can change this. He's playing both to the need and the ego. God, violence is everywhere. Surely we need a savior. Surely we need help. Surely we need someone to intervene. And God, guess what? Here's the good news. You're the one who can do something about this. You're the one who can handle this. I cry, but you do not come to save. Habakkuk's like, God, you're the only one who can intervene. You're the only one who can change. You're the only one who can stop in or switch in the situation and do something about it. And yet, God, you are doing nothing. You're playing a silent game. You're not responding. You're not even telling me that you're not going to call me. You're just not calling. Like, this is not the way this is supposed to work, God. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you've brought your case to God and pled your case to him to no avail. Maybe you've asked for help in that health condition. Maybe you've believed for something longer than I have, longer than your neighbor has, longer than your partner has, longer than your friend has. You've prayed, you've believed, you've sought, you've searched. You've done something like get God's attention, like you've tripped on purpose to see if he would like actually like try to pick you up and say, oh, it's going to be okay. You spiritually like made some sort of threat like God, like, listen, you're the only one who can do this. But if you don't, I'm going to leave. Okay, I'm leaving. Hey, like, I'm serious about this. Okay, God, come on. Listen, I just need you to do this. Have you felt that way? And it's crickets. There's nothing. There's no answer. There's no response. And for whatever reason, God just seems too busy to intervene on your behalf. For whatever reason, God seems too concerned with what's going on in other people's lives or in the world around you, but he's not responding to you. And he's not responding to what's happening in your life. And this is where Habakkuk found himself. And it's in these moments that produce this sort of kind of internal conflict of faith, this internal crisis, because I'm supposed to believe and I'm supposed to have faith, but God, if you're listening, you're probably not because you've not been listening to anything else I've said, but God, if you're listening, you're making this really difficult for me to believe. And some of us here in this room, some watching online, some listening, some of us have walked away. Some of us have ventured elsewhere. And we've done it physically. Like we've literally walked away from church, from faith, from Jesus, from any of that stuff. And it's a miracle that you're back in this space today. And for that, I'm grateful. But others of us, we didn't have to leave the church to walk away. We just did it in here. And we played the part because that's what makes someone so happy. That's what makes, you know, my mom or my dad or, or whoever, my friends. This is what makes them like stick around. But in here, God, I've abandoned you. I'm venturing away because it doesn't seem like you care. It doesn't seem like you're hearing. And Habakkuk goes on in verse three and he, and he says this, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. He didn't even live in New York City. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Mind blown. Surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Now, now here's what happens. Because when we feel unseen by God, and we know how we feel in here, we start to look around and see what happens out there. 
We start to look and see, well, where, where else? We start looking for validation and affirmation of the way we feel inside. So we start looking, where else is God neglecting his responsibilities? Where else is God abandoning his people? Where else could God intervene, but he's not done anything about it yet? And Habakkuk responds and he says, look, look, God, I see all these evil deeds. Why must I watch all this misery? Think about the, like, kind of the bluntness of that statement. God, why are your eyes closed and mine still open? Why do I have to care about something that you should be caring about? Why must I watch all this misery wherever I look, God? And, and you know, the truth is we begin searching for this validation elsewhere. And sadly, it's not that difficult to find. In fact, the brokenness is painfully obvious. The brokenness is, is, is just right there. I mean, all you need are eyes and ears that work and function. And, and, and that might be asking for a lot, but that's all you need for those things to, to kind of intake anything that you would find that would validate those feelings of God doesn't see me, God doesn't care. You look around at the lives of other people, some who are in church, some who are outside of church. And if you really get down to it, it's easy to start counting. You say, well, these are the people that are in church and yet God's not coming through for them. Here are the people that are not in church and somehow their lives are great. And somehow they're, they're better off and they're doing well. So God, God clearly doesn't see us. And, and you know, this narrative or this information plays into this narrative that God doesn't see us and God doesn't care. And you know what psychologists call that? Confirmation bias. It's literally a sociological, psychological behavior that we do where we use a small part of our brain and we only look and we filter through all the information we have access to to look for the few pieces that actually affirm and validate what we feel inside. And you know what's crazy? It's not Christian psychologists. It's all psychologists who say confirmation bias is part of our own brokenness. It's not reality. It's our reality, but it's not real life out here. And, and we've all done this before, right? Like you've been hurt by someone. They violated your trust. And so now you start thinking the next time you're going to engage with a person in some sort of way or in a similar type of way, you can't help but wonder, when is this person going to let me down? When is this person going to fail? And you start looking for reasons in that person's life to not trust them. Oh, they lied one time in like the third grade. Like, got them. Like, I knew I couldn't trust them. I knew I couldn't do this. And so we start informing our experiences with these jaded perspectives. And we don't just do it to each other. We've done it to God. We've done it to God and we've said, God, I can't trust you because this, that, and the other. And so here's this evidence. Here's this piece of evidence. Here's what I've observed. Here's what I've witnessed. Here's what's going on around me, God. So clearly you don't see us. Clearly, God, you do not care. And, and, and it moves from saying like, God, you were supposed to speak with me. You are supposed to connect with me. And then we start looking at the people around us and validating those feelings of being unseen. It goes from us to others. But it doesn't stop there. The good news is we're resilient people. So we look in one kind of last-ditch effort, one last-ditch place. And that's where Habakkuk wrote about in verse 4. He says, The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. You see, like Habakkuk, in moments of desperation, in moments of feeling unseen, in moments where we think God isn't in this thing, you know what we do? We look to the social structures in our lives that are intended or we're told are supposed to be for our good. And we look for the brokenness in those systems. The legal system, 
the education system. It could be the healthcare system. It's even the religious system. But we look in these social structures that are put in place that we're told and we believe are for our good. And when we see that they don't work the way they're supposed to, when things are broken in those structures and in those places, it's kind of this last ditch effort for hope saying, I looked at myself and nothing gave me hope. I looked at other people and nothing gave me hope there. I'm looking at the government. I'm looking at this healthcare thing. I'm looking at these medical bills. I'm looking at my church and no one in my life or nothing in my life is there to help me. And it's not that every system is completely or fatally broken. It's that every system has its brokenness. And there's a big difference. But we see the brokenness and we believe that all things are broken. And in this moment and in this space, we start to question. We start to doubt. We start to kind of already we were leaning one way. And this is where we start taking the steps away from God. Because this kind of becomes, although it was kind of like a gimmick, although we knew in the deepest parts of our heart that those social structures were not going to be the answer, were not going to be the solution, we start looking to them and then we allow that thing or that structure, that system to become kind of the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. And that becomes the trigger to say, you know what? God is nowhere to be found. Or at least if he's somewhere to be found, he's not seeing me and he's not looking for me. And I feel like I'm nowhere to be found in God's eyes. And in this moment, we walk away. You've seen it play out in people's lives all the time. Maybe you've experienced it for yourself. Where people just say enough is enough. I'm ready to move on. I've got things to do. I've got places to go. And clearly God didn't see me. So God's not going with me. But it's in this moment. It's in this space where God speaks. It's in this time on that brink of like taking that final step or that move away where God, where God says something to Habakkuk and he says something to us. And what he says is maybe very different than what you would expect. Here's what God said in verse five. He says this, he speaks to Habakkuk and he says, the Lord replied, look around at the nations for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. You see in that very moment when we're inclined to walk away, God pipes up and he says, it's time for you to hear what I have to say. It's time for you to hear what I'm gonna offer to you. He replies back and he answers something, but he doesn't just answer something. He poses a question in return and he says this, I see you, but do you see me? Because he tells Habakkuk and he tells us, lift your eyes. Broaden your perspective. You're looking at this and I'm telling you to look at this. Look around at the nations, Habakkuk. You're zoomed in. You're hyper-focused on one aspect, one singular thing. But Habakkuk, if you could just expand your vision. Ricky, if you could just look around. Krista, if you could just turn your head this way and you would see what I see. Then you would know that I see you. I see you, but do you see me? You see, the problem isn't necessarily that God doesn't see us. It's that we don't see God because we're not looking for God in those places outside of ourselves. And God responds back with, do you see that I'm at work? Do you know the work that I'm in? Do you know where I'm working? Do you know what I've been up to? Do you know what, what relationships I'm coordinating, what connections I'm making, what character I'm developing in you, what skills I am gifting you? Do you know what way I am preparing for you? Do you know any of that? Because if you don't, I would recommend you look for it. I would recommend you search for it. 
It may feel like you're down here and I'm up here, but the fact of the matter is because I'm up here, just like when we fly into the city, we can see it all. But when we're down here, we can only see what's in front of us at the moment. And God's saying, I've got a zoomed out perspective. I've never got overwhelmed by your circumstance. I didn't get scared by your health issue. I didn't get concerned about the fact that you've been praying for six years and I haven't responded just yet because Ricky, what I am doing and how I am working, it's taken six years to get this far. So you better believe it's going to be good if it's taken me six years to produce. And so God is asking you in return. I see you, but do you see me? Because what I am doing for you, what I am working on your behalf, how I am preparing you, how I am planning the way is so, so good that if I told you, you wouldn't even believe me. This is what the God of the heavens speaks to you today. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see your circumstance. Yes, I see your frustration. Yes, I see your hurt. Yes, I see your abandonment. Yes, I see your struggle. But trust me on this. I'm at work and I am doing something. And if I could just somehow convince you to broaden your perspective, if I could just somehow, uh, you know, work this situation out where you could just see so much more than what you currently see, what you would see is that God has never stopped working on your behalf. And God has never stopped caring about your situation. God has never neglected you or your family or that need or that thing that you're praying for. God is simply working a way to bring it together in his time, in his way, in, in accordance with who he's called you to be and how he's purposed you. Because listen, sometimes if God gave us what we wanted today, it wouldn't be a blessing. It would be a burden. And so God says, I'd rather take my time to make sure that what I give you doesn't crush you, but it strengthens you. And over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to look at different circumstances. And we're going to look to see not just what God sees, but see what God is doing. And I promise you, it's so much better than you can ask or imagine. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you in your faith and blesses you throughout the week. If you'd like to find out more about Meta Church, you can find us online at meta.church. And we hope to see you again next week on the podcast.